you have your Bible this morning, turn to John chapter 12. We continue on in our time as a faith family through the, the Gospel of John. We're going through the Gospel of John, and we'll be in John 12, 12 through 35 today. What's really happening as we go through the Gospel of John, what we're beginning to see here is that things like a volcano is beginning to build up here in the Gospel of John. Things are beginning to build up. They're beginning to build up to the point of the crucifixion and the resurrection of Jesus. We've seen different signs of Jesus being the Messiah, the living God. And things are beginning to, to build up. We saw a couple of weeks ago that Jesus resurrected his friend Lazarus from the dead showing that Jesus was God in the flesh, that Jesus has power over death, and to show that Jesus came to bring spiritual resurrection, that Jesus has, has power over death, that Jesus came to resurrect us from the dead spiritually and give life to us. And because of that, we saw then last week, Mary, she took that expensive perfume made of pure nard, she anointed the feet of Jesus and washed his feet with her hair, wiped the ointment, the perfume off to show how precious, how priceless Jesus was. We talked about last week how infinitely glorious and valuable and priceless Jesus truly is. Well, because of Jesus resurrecting Lazarus from the dead, as you can imagine, in that tight-knit community, in that region, Word spread around about Jesus resurrecting from someone from the dead. That just doesn't happen. We just don't see that happen on a regular basis. And so Jesus had resurrected Lazarus from the dead, and so his popularity grew. Word began to spread about him, and more and more people began to follow Jesus. Well, then what happened was the Pharisees, the Sadducees, the religious leaders of the day, they began to panic. They began to realize that more and more people were following Jesus, and then they were becoming obsolete. They were not becoming quite as important. They were not as powerful because of what Jesus was doing. And they feared also that Jesus was going to start a political revolution from the Roman Empire. Now, at this time in history, the Jewish people had religious freedom, but they did not have political freedom. And Rome was okay with them worshiping God, worshiping Yahweh, as long as it did not affect the Roman Empire. Well, now Jesus' fame was growing, and they were afraid that Rome would come in and take away their, their religious freedom, and they would have to worship Caesar, and then they, as religious leaders, would not be able to manip manipulate the people anymore. So they came up with a plan. They came up with a plan. They came up with a plot to kill Jesus. They thought, if we can take this guy out, this movement would stop. And then if you look in verses 9 through 11 here in John 12, they even put together a plot. They decided to even kill Lazarus. They said, we have to put a stop to this. Because so many people were deserting them and were believing in Jesus because he had raised Lazarus from the dead. So that's kind of the atmosphere, the climate we find ourselves in. So look here in verse 12 of John chapter 12, and that's where we'll start. And it says this, 
The next day, when the large crowd that had come to the festival heard that Jesus was coming to Jerusalem, they took palm branches and went out to meet him. They kept shouting, Hosanna! Blessed is he who comes in the name of the, name of the Lord, the King of Israel. Jesus found a donkey and sat on it, just as, is, as it is written, Do not be afraid, daughter Zion. Look, your king is coming, sitting on a donkey's colt. His disciples did not understand these things at first. However, when Jesus was glorified, then they remembered that these things had been written about him and that, and that they had done these things to him. Meanwhile, the crowd which had been with him when he called Lazarus out of the tomb and raised him from the dead continued to testify. This is why the crowd met him, because they had heard and had done this sign. Then the Pharisees said to one another, You see, you've accomplished nothing. Look, the world has gone after him. So what do we see here in this passage? Quite amazing here. Jesus is entering, some folks call it the triumphal entry. And Jesus is entering Jerusalem to celebrate the Passover. But more than that, this is the start of the Passion Week. This is Jesus was going to Jerusalem to die. He was going to die for the sins of the world. Well, as, the, as Jesus enters the, the, the city, John, the writer of this gospel, makes it clear that there's a large crowd. And when we see that there's a large crowd here, don't think a couple of hundred people. Oh no, absolutely not. There was a first century historian. His name was Josephus. And Josephus lived in that time. And he writes in his writings that there was a time, there was one Passover about 60 AD, that there was over 3 million people who came to Jerusalem to take part in the Passover. So when we're talking about a big crowd, we're not talking about a few hundred people. We're talking about thousands upon thousands, if not hundreds of thousands, if not a million people there in Jerusalem. It was packed for the celebration of the Passover. Well, while many are there for the festival of the Passover that was taking place, Jesus is arriving in Jerusalem. The crowd goes outside the city to meet him. The people that were there when they saw Lazarus raised from the dead, they are spreading word of what was happening, and people are going outside the city Thousands of people are going out to meet Jesus. They have heard about the, Jesus and his signs. Some of them have witnessed Jesus' miracles, and this draws them. Others just want to see Jesus for themselves. A couple of years ago, our city kind of went through something similar, not that Jesus had come to Kansas City, but the Royals won the World Series. You remember that? The Royals won the World Series, and, and they had this huge parade downtown. Anyone, is anyone there not there. Seth had just been born. He was about two weeks old, and Marilyn, I thought, it's not a good idea to take a two-week-old baby to a World Series celebration parade, but you've seen pictures. Many of you just watched it on TV, where neither 800,000 people descended upon downtown to celebrate the Royals winning the World Series. So when I read this, this is what I imagine Jesus. You remember the crowds of people that were lining the streets of downtown Kansas City to see the Royals? They had just won the World Series. They were celebrating. There's confetti going everywhere. That's what it was like with Jesus. Jesus is entering inner Jerusalem, and there's people on both sides of the, of the road, and there's thousands of people, and they're shouting, Hosanna, Hosanna. Now, what did that mean? That's something that you and I may not know what that means, but that means give salvation now. 
So put your place there. Again, when we read the Bible, we don't want to read the Bible like a newspaper. We want to put ourselves there like a movie script. So imagine what that was like. You have thousands upon thousands, hundreds of thousands of people lining this road just outside Jerusalem. They're all there to celebrate the Passover. They see Jesus coming, and they're shouting, Hosanna, bring salvation now. Now, that meant a couple of things. One, there were many people there that saw Jesus as able and willing to bring salvation. This cry was a declaration of Jesus as the Christ, that he was the fulfillment of the scriptures, he was the one the world had been waiting for. But there were other people there, and they believed that Jesus is arriving as their king because they remembered that the Messiah was going to come from King David. So they thought Jesus was royalty, that he was a king, and that he was coming from his father, King David, and that Jesus was coming to overthrow the Roman Empire, the Roman government, and bring political freedom. They thought Jesus was coming to make Israel great again. And they, some of you will get that later. And they were excited to see Jesus and they're shouting, Hosanna, give salvation now. Free us from the Romans. But what they don't understand and what they don't get is that Jesus was coming not to bring political freedom, but spiritual freedom. And Jesus is riding in on this young donkey He's fulfilling the prophecy of the Old Testament prophet Zechariah. But see, this is a little odd. Because if Jesus was coming in as a conqueror, as a king, usually a king would come in on a big horse, a white horse, a stallion, right? But Jesus is riding in on a donkey. And donkeys are not normally the most well thought of animals, right? In fact, if someone says something, does something stupid, we call them a donkey at times, right? And so Jesus comes in on a donkey, and it's symbolizing that he's a humble king. He's, so we see the humility of Jesus as a humble king, and Jesus is fulfilling this Old Testament prophecy. And then we get a kind of a behind-the-scenes look of the disciples. Because the disciples, they're not quite comprehending what's going on. But later, after his death and resurrection... They flash back, they remember this. But also in this scene, we see the religious leaders, they're freaking out. They are panicking because the huge crowds are going out to see Jesus. And you can almost see the infighting among the Pharisees and Sadducees, right? They're pointing the finger at each other. They're saying, see, the world has gone out after him. We are obsolete. We are powerless now. Well, let's go on and see what happens. Let's keep going. Verse 20. It says, Now some Greeks were among those who went up to worship at the festival. So they came to Philip, who was from Bethsaida in Galilee, and requested of him, Sir, we want to see Jesus. Philip went and told Andrew. Then Andrew went and Philip went and told Jesus. Jesus replied to him, The hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. Truly I tell you, unless a grain of wheat falls to the ground and dies, it remains by itself. But if it dies, it produces much fruit. The one who loves his life will lose it. The one who hates his life in this world will keep it for eternal life. If anyone serves me, he must follow me. 
Where I am, there my servant also will be. If anyone serves me, the Father will honor him. So here we have some Greeks. Now that doesn't mean they were Greek people who like to eat uh, euros or those kinds of things and baklava. That does not what these are not who these people were. They were just Jewish people that spoke Greek. So they spoke Greek, not Hebrew, and they come to worship at the Passover, and they reach out to some of the disciples because they want to see Jesus, or basically they want to interview him. It's almost like they just want to interview and sit down and have a conversation with Jesus. So they reach out to some of the disciples, and they reach out, and the disciples come to Jesus, and Jesus takes this as an opportunity, as he always does. Jesus takes this as an opportunity to teach them about what is about to happen. And Jesus explains something to what's about to happen to him. He clues them on what we call his glorification. Now, that's a big word, and we're going to talk about that here in a minute. But Jesus says the time has come, the hour has come for him to do what brings him the most glory, the most fame. And so in this moment, and I'm sure the disciples thought this too, we can think Jesus is about to do something big. Jesus is going to do something huge. But then Jesus says in verse 24, look at it again. Jesus says, truly I tell you, unless a grain of wheat falls into the ground and dies, it remains by itself. But if it dies, it produces much fruit. So for the first time here, Jesus is referring to his own death. It's time. Jesus is saying, it's time for me to die. I don't know if you remember as a kid, we used to watch the old cartoon Charlotte's Web. Do anyone remember that? And the spider says that she's got to go die to have babies, right? And then the pig freaks out and she's crying. Like, it's really sad, right? It's almost kind of that moment. Jesus is saying, it's time for me to die. And to help his listeners understand this, he gives them an agricultural example of wheat. Jesus says, I'm going to die. And this would not have made sense because he's just rode into Jerusalem as a conqueror, as a king. And normally kings and conquerors, what do they do? They don't die. At some point they will, but they are not about to die. They've conquered their king. So Jesus gives them an example. And he says, when wheat is planted, the seed, that grain is planted in the ground, it literally dies in the ground. It splits. And so that stalk of wheat grows up out of the ground. That grain dies and produces a wheat stalk with more grain on it so that the wheat will grow. And Jesus says, unless a grain of wheat falls into the ground and dies, it remains alone. But if it dies, it bears much fruit. So Jesus says, I'm about to die. I'm that ground of wheat, grain of wheat. I'm about to die, and it's going to produce much fruit. Well, then, then Jesus gives another example. He gives a second example. Jesus says that whoever hates his life in this present evil temporal world will gain eternal life. On the other hand, whoever loves his life here will lose it eternally. So these two examples of, of, of life and the grain of wheat are connected. Because Jesus' death will produce the fruitfulness of other seeds, and then much wheat will be harvested. So Jesus is saying that his death will produce other lives that will exemplify his sacrifice 
So no longer are Jesus' followers are to be consumed with their own lives and their own personal gain. No, they are to die as well. So here's how this applies today. Jesus died to produce something in us. He died to produce something in us, and it's life. Eternal life. Because we are broken. We're sinful. We need life. We need something new. We need change. We need to be changed. So what Jesus did, he died. He died on the cross. And when he died, the Bible tells us that he took our sin upon himself. He took the blame. He took our guilty sentence and made it his own. And then he died as the consequence, the punishment for that sin. But why would Jesus do that? Why would Jesus allow the grain of his life to be split to give us life? brand new life, a reconciled and all good relationship with God. So if you are here this morning and you haven't believed in Jesus for life, Jesus provides life for you by dying. He has provided life for you. He has provided a new change, a brand new life for you. Jesus has come to remove the callousness, the apathy in your life by dying. So let me encourage you to stop living for the things that maybe can make you feel alive temporarily and believe in the one who actually can give you life. Believe in the one that can heal you, the one that can satisfy you to experience true life. Believe and follow Jesus and have your life changed. But it doesn't stop there, does it? Because if we are believers and followers in Jesus Christ, Jesus is saying here, we're to follow in his sacrifice. We're to live as he lived. No longer are we to be consumed with our own lives and our own personal gain. If we claim to be a Christian and a follower of Jesus, Jesus is calling us to lose our lives. Now that, you might think, really, is Jesus calling us to die? In some cases, yes. All around the world, we have brothers and sisters in Christ that are losing their lives for the sake of Jesus. In the Middle East, in North Korea, all around the world, there are brothers and sisters that are risking their lives for the sake of Jesus and the gospel. But for some of us, that may not be necessarily the call to physically lose our lives, but it's a call to give up our rights, our identity, for the sake of other people to know Jesus. That is the expectation of a follower and disciple of Jesus. As Christians, if we claim to be Christians, we are called to follow in the example of Jesus and sacrifice our own wants, needs, and desires, and maybe even our lives. For people to be introduced to Jesus. We are called to give up our comfort zones. And what people may think about us. All for the sake of other people to know Jesus and to have life in him. Corporately, 
as the church. Individually, we are called to do this, but corporately as the church, we are called to this as well. We must together as the church live for others, sacrifice so people can be introduced to Jesus and have their lives changed by him. We must give up our own wants, needs, desires, preferences, all so that people can receive life from Jesus. It's all about Jesus. So faith family, let's do that. Let's together as the church, let's live for others. Let's live sacrificially so that people can have their lives changed by Jesus. That's what we want to see happen is we want to see people, we want to see their lives changed by Jesus. And for us to see that, we are going to have to sacrifice. We are going to have to give up some things we may like. We may have to go through some things we dislike. All for the sake of people's lives being changed by Jesus. So not only does the gospel give us life, not only does the gospel give us salvation individually, it affects the way we live. Because we must live how he lived. We must follow in the example of Jesus so that others may know him and be changed by him. Let's keep going. Verse 27. Jesus said, Now my soul is troubled. What should I say? Father, save me from this hour. But this is why I came to this hour. Father, glorify your name. Then a voice from heaven. I have glorified it and I will glorify it again. And the crowd standing there heard it and said, it was thunder. Others said, an angel has spoken to him. Jesus responded, this voice came not for me, but for you. Now is the judgment of this world. Now the ruler of this world will be cast out. As for me, if I am lifted up from the earth, I will draw people to myself. He said this to indicate what kind of death he was about to die. Then the crowd replied to him, We have heard from the law that the Messiah will remain forever. So how can you say the Son of Man must be lifted up? Who is the Son of Man? Jesus answered, The light will be with you only a little longer. Walk while you have the light so that darkness doesn't overtake you. The one who walks in darkness doesn't know where he is going. While you have the light, believe in the light so that you may become children of light. Jesus said this and went away and hid from them. So in closing, what we see here, Jesus is saying, I'm only going to be here a while longer. I'm not going to be on this earth much longer. He's hinting at his death, his resurrection, and ultimately his ascension back into heaven. But even as he's approaching his death, Jesus is troubled. It's troubling to the point to where he could ask God the Father to take it away. He even did this in the Garden of Gethsemane, didn't he? He said, my Father, let this cup pass from me, but not my will, but yours be done. Because Jesus was about to experience not just the physical pain and death of crucifixion, but the spiritual pain of being separated from the Father because of taking upon the sin of the world. 
But here, Jesus, we see his resolve. Jesus is resolved to complete the redemptive plan that he and the Father came up with from the foundation of the world. And he cries out in confidence to God the Father, and he's saying, Father, I'm about to do this so you will be glorified. So that your name will be made big, so you will be made known. And then in verse 32, and this is a key verse, and if you're a highlighter, an underliner, or a circler in your, in your Bible, I encourage you to do that in verse 32. Because Jesus gives why he came, almost like a mission statement of why he came. Jesus says, as for me, if I am lifted up from the earth, I will draw all people to myself. So what is Jesus saying here? Jesus is giving his mission, his purpose of why he came and lived. Jesus explains that if I am lifted up, I will draw all people to myself. Jesus is not only going to be physically lifted up on the cross to purchase salvation for all people, he's also going to be lifted up to glory. And in verse 33, John says, the writer here, he says that Jesus says these things to show the people what kind of death will take place. Yes, it refers to the nature of his execution, but it also hints at the point throughout the, pa the passage, Jesus' death is the pathway to his glorification, his purpose of drawing all people to himself. That's his mission. That's his purpose, to be glorified, to be lifted up, to be made known to draw people to himself. So if that is the purpose of Jesus, if we claim to be Christians and followers of him, that should be our purpose too. To glorify him, to make him known so that he can draw people to himself. So here's where the rubber meets the road for you and I today. One, Jesus came and died to draw you, to draw me to himself. To have a relationship with us. That's why he died. Jesus wants to have a love relationship with us so much that he was willing to die to come so we can have a relation with him. Jesus had to die because he was holy as God. God is holy. And we are sinful, so there's separation there. And so because there is separation, because there's sin, the only thing that could bring reconciliation was something had to die. In the Old Testament... A lamb or an animal had to die. Jesus came in the New Testament to be that lamb, to fix that broken relationship. So because he loved us, Jesus went to the cross. He takes our guilty sentence, our punishment of death, and he died to have a relationship, so we can have a relationship with him, to draw us to himself. He was lifted up on the cross to draw all people to himself. And to have this relationship with Jesus, we must believe. We must believe who he is, believe what he did, believe what he said, and in return we receive life. Life that's new, life that's fresh, a life that's full of purpose. Because then as we believe in him, we're given a purpose. Because Jesus invites us and urges us, commands us 
to join him in sacrifice. Sacrificing for the sake of other people. Sacrificing and making him known. Making Jesus sinner in all we do and say so that people can know him. And then as Jesus is known, he is glorified. So they can have their lives changed by him as our lives have been changed by him. So if you are here this morning and you have never believed in Jesus, believe so you can have freedom. So you can have new life. Then if you, will, if you do claim to be a follower of Jesus, if you claim to be a Christian, sacrifice. Give up. Die to yourself so that Jesus can be made known. Die to yourself, to your own wants, needs, desires, your preferences, so that when people see you, they will see Jesus, and he will be lifted up, he'll be glorified. As the church, let's die. Let's sacrifice. Let's give above and beyond so that people can know Jesus and their lives can be changed. And as we do that, the great thing about it is we're not made known. Jesus is made known. He is glorified. And he draws people to himself. Pray with me. Jesus, thank you for coming and dying and being that grain that was planted in the ground. Jesus, thank you for dying for us, for, ha for providing a relationship with us. And Lord, I pray if there's anyone here today that does not know you, that has never trusted you for salvation, I pray that they would believe that even as, Jesus, you've been presented very clearly in all we've done this morning, I pray that you would draw people to yourself. Show them your holiness, our sinfulness, and that you've made a way for their relationship with you to be fixed by believing in your name. And then, Lord, I pray for those of us who are here and we claim to be Christians, we claim to be followers. I pray you would prove that by us sacrificing. Move us as your people to a place of sacrifice. That individually, you would help each one of us to individually to die to join you in your example of sacrifice, that we would die to our own wants, our own needs, our own desires. And Jesus, that's hard. We don't like it. And so we need your help to do that. Not to promote ourselves, not to, not to show some kind of spiritual superiority, but to show people you so their lives can be changed by you as you've changed our life. Lord, I pray that you would move us as a church more and more to a place of sacrifice. To a place of making you known so that you can change the lives of people. 
that they can enter into a love relationship with you. So I pray that during this time of reflection and meditation, Father, I pray that you would change us. Make us more like you. Cause us to believe in you and to follow you. It's in the name of Jesus we pray. Amen.